you're listening to Where Is My Sofa, a podcast all about missing sofas. And where are they? Sitting across me is the very much stunned... Not across you. I'm not sitting across you. I'm sitting across from you. Sitting across from me and picking up a Lithuanian person on their English grammar (laughs) is my infamously amazing co-host Elaine and this is not in fact a podcast about sofas but a podcast about board games those things that are usually not played on sofas sofas are on our mind Elaine because sofas are on our mind because we don't have one yeah which which made it much easier when we were playing class when we knocked the biscuits flying to find them because they weren't hiding under the sofa if you're not familiar with class it's a A wooden version of air hockey with (laughs) magnets, which is possibly the best part about it. And uh, the three little pips, magnetic pips in the middle by class professionals and sharks are called biscuits, which... (laughs) We we don't know why. (laughs) We don't know why, but it's infinitely amusing. Uh, Today on the podcast, the No Pun Included podcast about board games, we're going to be talking about such amazing games as... Star Wars, Outer Rim, Undaunted, and who we have had our very first experience with an 18xx game, and we're not going to review it because reviewing that would be like a baby taking their first steps and reviewing walking. Um, reviewing like climbing Mount Everest. I yeah, think. well, no, walking on its own is like, yeah, I've got this now. You know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm a pro. Uh-huh. See me crawl. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, no, we had a. If you're not familiar with 18xx, they're these big sprawling economic train games. It's a whole genre because even though it's essentially the same game system, there are many, many different variations of that game system, and it's called 18xx because they're all called. 18 something something sometime frequently a number mm. to refer to a year when a particular event kicked off whatever it is happening mm. in that train game uh and uh, sometimes it has letters or, or or words i have backed a game called 18 chesapeake which is apparently an ex- that's not a number that's not a number yeah mm. but it is apparently an accessible entryway into the hobby that's going to be delivered to backers next year i'm very much looking forward to trying that but we played 1846, which is uh, what I was surprised to find out a very nice production of an 18xx game because they tend to n- not look amazing. Let's let's call a spade a spade and an 18xx art and 18xx art. I liked it because it was functional, right? It was nice primary colors and you could see, like from a distance, you could see what everything was. I like that. I think it says something about a game where like, where you want the art to be so functional, it sets up it sets up the tone, I think. But I do enjoy spreadsheets, though. So <laughs> well, you might not want to I enjoy reveal that publicly. Enjoy spreadsheets, actually. <laughs> I enjoy color coding spreadsheets. Elaine, and stop. That's- Stop. Your public image is tanking. (laughs) I can see Elaine Stocks going down right now. Stocks. Stocks, indeed. (laughs) Thematic, because... I thought you said socks to begin with. I was like, why would my socks fall down? Uh, I thought it was a Lithuanian saying, like, if you ramble on too much, your sock falls down. That that would be amazing. I would like that to be a Lithuanian (laughs) saying, all the Lithuanians listening, please, please chime in, help us. Just say it is, no one's going to know. Yeah. Let's go... To a galaxy far, 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 far away. away. Oh, sorry. A long time <laughs> ago, sometime. I don't know. It's a, it's a mysterious, nebulous moment in in space and time. Yeah. Called a war of in stars. In time. Yeah. No, well, it's cause, a, cause it's in the, the galaxy. Is yeah. Far, yeah. far away. A, a long time, time ago. ago. Yeah. yeah okay. A long time yeah. ago in the okay. galaxy far, far. It, this is far too long a preamble <laughs> for Star Wars Outer Rim. A game that is probably actually quite apt because it is a long, sprawling, rambling game. And uh, did you know, Elaine, Uh that uh, Star Wars Outer Rim, by other reviewers, Mm. had very, very polarizing reviews? Some people love this game and some people loathe this game. Uh, And we are... Somewhere in the middle. Yeah, but it, I know it's like when someone says to you, I'm ambivalent about Marmite. Like, you feel you can never trust them again because you either love it yeah, or you hate yeah, it. Yeah, I get yeah, that. But yeah. but we are kind of in the middle. And it is a very... I like. I understand that. I understand that some people are going to 
love it and some people are going to hate it. Can I give people just a broad, broad brushstrokes of what Star Wars Outer Rim is, um, right? Yeah. So, a ticket to ride size box from Fantasy Flight mm -hmm. Games that has Star Wars on it. That should already tell you quite a bit. But the premise of Star Wars Outer Rim is basically the premise of Solo, a Star Wars story, which was the Ron Howard film, which in this case makes Cory Konechka the Ron Howard of the board game world, who's the designer of the game. See how, see how I tie that in? I, I see. Uh, uh, but it really, you know, I, I, I think we could probably say that Star Wars Outer Rim is the perfect companion to Solo, a Star Wars story, because not only is it thematically mm. that concept, you are mm. a bounty hunter or smuggler or, you know, the scum and villainy yeah, the in the Outer... Guy. Well, no, not, they're not the bad guy, yeah. like the, the guy out for himself. Yeah, the, the chaotic neutral. Yeah, right? cha yeah. <laughs> yeah, the chaotic neutral of Star Wars. And, and, uh, and you, you bimble about the galaxy having various adventures and, and for three hours. And that's it. But I think that is one of the problems with it, that it's a three-hour game. If it was like an hour and a half, you'd be like, yeah, I'm having a lovely time in my sandbox. But actually, like, finding bounty or moving about the galaxy, bimbling around. But because it is three hours and there are bits of it that are a little bit frustrating. Well, but you get to do so many cool things. So first of all, you get to have your own ship. You Not do. only do you get to have your own ship, your ship is crap. And you can upgrade it. And though. you can upgrade it into a cooler ship. Mm -hmm. And then not only... A so, slightly cooler ship. Yeah, a slightly cooler ship. So one of the best ships in the game is obviously the YT-1300, right? But even when you get the YT-1300, uh, you can then work towards it becoming the Millennium Falcon, right? And this, this is where the game has these crazy thematic ties with the Star Wars universe. So, for mm. example, so the objective of the game is to be the first person to get to 10 fame, right? As soon as someone gets to 10 fame, they win the game. So it's a race, right? But uh, the way you get fame is, oh, there's multiple ways. You can, you can do jobs, which yeah. are basically um, thematic reasons for getting the right tools together and then rolling a bunch of dice and, and seeing mm. if you get the right successes or not. You, you could, can smuggle stuff. You, you can you can take uh, clandestine goods from one place to another. Yeah, and then you'll get fame. Uh, you can uh, find uh, a bounty hunter. Uh, sorry, a bounty? A bounty, yeah. You can find a bounty hunter. You can just hang out <laughs> with them. But that's, in, that's, the, in the... What's it called? What's that bar called? Uh, with the, the music? The Mos Eisley Cantina? Yeah. Yeah. You can get... You can find a bounty hunter and you can try and be cool to him or her, but then that's not going to give you fame no. because you're probably not going to come up very well. I mean, gonna it's going to make you feel well. good, though. Yeah, it's going to be... But yeah, you can find a bounty and you can either murder them or you can deliver them for a further oh. reward, yeah. And you can upgrade your ship. You can you can fight the Imperials or the Rebels uh, because they're on their patrols looking for smuggled goods or whatever. And yeah, you can do so many different things. And that's where the sandboxy element comes in. And some of it is fun. Some of it is a lot of fun. And some of it is a little tedious, I, I found. Uh, yeah, like, like trying to find your bounty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, well, it can be tedious or not. It can be exciting. because. So here's the thing. Uh, the map is this weird... Like, imagine it's like what... like a U-shape. Yeah, imagine what you would put on top of an egg, right? An egg hat. An egg hat, yeah. Right. Imagine an egg hat. So the map is effectively a good egg hat, right? And it sprawls all over this the table. This analogy is confusing. Yeah. And, and then around that egg hat... You have many different paths with many different planets, and all these planets have various face-down tokens, and they're called contacts. And these contacts... <laughs> Elaine can't hold it together. These contacts are various characters from the Star Wars universe, and then if you say, got a job from the Imperials for a bounty, that say, you know, you, you need to go and find... I don't know, C-3PO and hunt him down because... Thank you for using a character, I know. Yeah, C-3PO is just the, the linchpin of, of, of the plan to take down the mm -hmm. Empire, so he needs mm -hmm. to go. Uh, and you're like, okay. And then you bimble to a planet and go, is one of these face-down tokens C-3PO? No, it's no, not. No, it's not. Ah. Let's bimble to another planet. But uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, not quite, it's not quite as opaque as that because there are three colors of tokens mm -hmm. and you know what color you're looking for. And the best part, whenever you flip a token, and this is where the game starts to really kick into gear. You flip a token, that character is now forever flipped, mm. and everybody knows where Bob Fortuna is. 
Um, it's named Bib Fortuna, but okay. I, I called him Bob Fortuna for okay. humorous effect. I see. And Which I, I didn't get because... You're not a big Star Wars. No. You're not a big Star Wars. Let's just end there. I'm not a big there. Star Wars. No. I, I was going to say you're not like a big Star Wars nerd, but I don't know why I find that like almost sort of exclusive. Do you know what I mean? So That's I, fine. I, hang out in your cantina with your other Star Wars nerds. Yeah. Okay. No, I just went, <laughs> you're not a big Star Wars. And, no. and, and that is fine. Um, <laughs> he says through gritted teeth. <laughs> it's fine. It's a fine. Yeah, you don't have to be film. a fan of this. Of this, I should. You know, uh, our Kickstarter backers get our newsletter, yeah. right? I should really write about my relationship to Star Wars because mm. it made me fall in love with movies, and mm. I think that's a cool thing. Elaine, I yeah. forgot where I even was. Anyway, uh, oh yeah, bounty hunter tokens. So uh, you get to flip them face up. And then various things happen in the game, and this is cool. So, for example, uh, a token could potentially become a member of your crew, because whenever mm. you encounter a character in this galaxy, there is a deck of cards, and all these cards are numbered, and then you don't know what they say, but it says, take out card number 22, and then you take it out and read it, and there's uh, a little clause or a little mission mm. or mm. Some, something happening. And, uh, for example, that character could become a part of your, the crew of your ship mm. and help it, giving your ship a cool new ability and adding skills that will help you out with yeah. tests. But not only that, if someone else gets that character that is now part of your crew as their bounty, mm. Lane, they can, you can go... You can pass them over. And, and fight. Mm. You can go and fight or you can pass them over. You can be like... Do you know what? Let's make a deal. I will give up my crew. You can have them. But give me some credits. Yeah. Uh, and see, I, there's, there's a lot to love in this game. I just, I've, I found myself, I don't know how about you, but I remember actually when we were playing about two and a half hours in, without giving away any of your feelings towards it, you went, is it okay to say that I'm really enjoying this game? Yeah, I did. I, well, I was enjoying it. It was like yeah. a popcorn flick. Yeah, right? exactly. Like it was like a well done popcorn flick. Well, we did go in with some of the lowest expectations because we've heard some some not very good reviews about this game. No. Uh, and and uh, what? So I'm not a big Star Wars. We've established this, but yeah. I liked how it. And the reason I'm calling it a popcorn flick, and mm. and it is a bit like Solo, right? Yeah. Because it had the characters that everybody knows in it right like c3po or r2d2 or, yeah, yeah. or whatever and it had a mission that fk had to do which was reminiscent of the films and it was just so cool so i was really enjoying it i was really into the game as the film like yeah like i don't feel like this game could have had any other theme but star wars apart from maybe dog the bounty hunter and it's <laughs> not set in space um to veer off slightly from dog the bounty hunter not my favorite tv personality uh, th there's definitely things I think that are going to frustrate some people. So uh, the, the failure states of trying jobs. Which, yeah, but yeah. you always are warned about like how, what skills you need to complete that job. Yeah, like, but it's not a surprise or a shock and you build up your crew so they have those skills and you have those skills that, so that when you go into that job, you're like, yeah. I can do this. Yeah, that's true. It has a lot of elements that really work well for a game that is so not the genre that I would enjoy normally. And I, I, I think the trappings of of that sort of bimble around the galaxy, which is actually the perfect tagline for this game, a bimble around the galaxy. Um, I Yeah, I was surprised I, I, I did have as much... I know I keep saying it, but I was surprised that I did have as, as good a time with it. It's not a perfect time. And actually, my suspicion mm. is that if you do get Star, Star Wars Outer Rim, there's maybe a couple of good free hour games in there. Yeah. But maybe if with expansions it could become a But then that's even more money into Well, no that's true. Yeah. Yeah, no that's that's very true. I I, th I just think if you don't take the game too seriously, if you take it for what it is, I don't want to say bimble again because that's too many bimbles. But it's the perfect but... tagline, Elaine. <laughs> it is a bimble Across the yeah, galaxy. But you're a bounty hunter. You're not bimbling about. You're swishing around trying to get your bounty or whatever. Like, you're not... Or, or smuggling. Mm. You're a smuggler. They don't bimble, do they? Anyway, but if you just take it for what it is, this kind of... Say it, bimble around the galaxy. This bimble around the galaxy, then I think 
then I think, yeah, it, you'll have a good time playing it. If you think it's going to be this really kind of in-depth, strategic, cutthroat experience, then it is not. It's going to fall apart it's completely. Fall apart. Yeah. And actually, I think the reason it worked is because we were both in a very good mood that <laughs> evening when uh-huh. we were playing it. Uh-huh. And B, also, we were very chilled out. We were mm. very laid back and we played it laid back. I honestly didn't care who was going to win, right? I just wanted to kind of go through this flow of Star Wars. Mm. And and it's not even Star Wars because it's... Okay, so it's it's all the names and the persons and the people and the locations from Star Wars. It's, it's not really telling any kind of a Star Wars story. No. It's just taking all these, like, elements. you know, elements and, and nouns more accurately, mm. you know, and, and just throwing them at you mm. through a blender. And... I was fine with that. I just let it wash all over me mm. and I had a pretty decent time and because I didn't care who won, um I just yeah, it did it it went down a treat. And I think because we were playing it with in that mood. Yeah. Right, what was quite nice was because you are a big Star Wars and I'm mm. not you were stopping to explain, oh, this character is this, and this is who they were in the film. So yeah. I was getting like a Star Wars experience at Gen- the same Genuinely time. being embarrassed about being a big Star Wars right now. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to be a Star Wars nerd. You're not Star Wars. Star like, Wars nerds are not cool now. You know oh, that. Okay. Yeah. Well, no one is cool. Yeah. I mean, when have we ever tried to be cool? Right? Okay, fair enough. Do you know what? One last point. It did remind me very much, and this there's no game has managed to kind of recreate that experience. Experience. And I will be the first to put up my hands to say that Arkham Horror 2nd Edition is a very flawed game. But it did have that sort of appealing element mm. of going to places and exploring. And, and exploring and just having a time where some text is going to be thrown at you and that text is mildly engaging. Mm. And Star Wars Outer Rim so far, ironically, out of all the subsequent <laughs> Arkham Horror remakes was the game that brought that feeling back to me uh-huh. for the first time. And, I, I mean, mind you, I, Arkham Horror was second edition, was one of the first board games I've, I've played, you know. Mm. And, and I think I have nostalgic fond memories oh, yeah, of fair. it that, that are possibly, you know, colouring it a lot better than that game actually is. But, but that moment, you know, there, there's always like almost like synapses firing and uh-huh. my brain was going, I remember this. You know, this was fun. This was fun. This yeah. was nice. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk about a game called Undaunted Normandy. I am very excited to talk about it. And if you felt like our previous discussion of Star Wars Outer Rim did not include a lot of mechanical hoo-ha, then you'll be happy to know that Undaunted Normandy discussion will have a lot of mechanical hoo-ha. Because that game is all about clever little mechanisms. Undaunted Normandy comes from the same designers as War Chess, which is an abstract chess alike that we both enjoyed very, very much and did not have a chance to cover. But Undaunted Normandy is sort of a spiritual sequel, whereas the previous one was very abstract and the theme was sort of medieval poker chips with Mm. with medieval knights and lances and archers and pikemen now you are fighting on the beaches of normandy in world war ii a la memoir 44 very reminiscent very of memoir 44 in its scope Mm -hmm. length genre artwork everything Mm -hmm. says to me this is going to be a memoir 44 style experience it's very different to memoir 44 actually Mm. in in terms of mechanisms Mm. because unlike memoir 44 which does have a card sort of driven you play a card and yeah. that card dictates what you can do but this is full deck building yeah and i i found that a very unique take on deck building as well mm-hmm. so here's the thing uh in undaunted normandy each side and it's a strictly two-player game so you're playing either as the allies or the germans each side is going to get a deck of their own but you're also going to get a shop of your own and it's weird calling this a shop because this is a world war ii game and you're basically buying your soldiers, people, people that you can use in, in this uh, skirmish simulation. and uh, But it is effectively, in, in terms of mechanisms, a shop where you get new cards from. But the one thing it does carry over from War Chest, mm. and uh, War Chest was sort of also like, it's a chest alike, but also a bag builder, right? Mm. And this is here again, a, a sort of a war skirmish game, but a deck builder. Mm. And the, So the one thing that it carries over 
is this notion that you can have more cards in your deck that refer to the same soldier, uh, but it's obviously not one soldier. It's more like, this is a platoon, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but as that soldier uh, is getting shot and, and fired at and uh, receives hits, you have to remove cards from your deck from the game and mm -hmm. they're gone. And as soon as all the because cards are gone... Shot. Yeah, because they've been shot. Mm -hmm. So as soon as all the cards are gone, then you can no longer activate that soldier. That soldier yeah, is... That type of soldier. You yeah. have to remove that type of unit from, from, from the, the game. board. Yeah. And it's actually a very powerful mechanism because what it does to deck building, the very peculiar thing, is that, uh, okay, so I want to reinforce this person, right, that's standing in a key position in the yeah. battlefield. And so you're buying more of that card that one specific card and that makes that unit more survivable but also then it's going to be that unit that's going to activate more because your deck is composed mostly of that unit yeah, yeah. and it's got this other little nifty spin on deck building which is the fog of war cards mm. which i found very peculiar so the way it works is um it's a scenario based game you have 10 scenarios so plenty to play from uh, and that makes it more interesting because the map is never just the map and this is what you do. The scenario dictates, like in like Memoir 44, what how you're going to play out the game. And what are the puzzles that you're trying to exactly. solve, you know, because... And which units you get and... But yeah, you have these Fog of War cards. So if you want to travel on the map, you have to have uh, these tiles scouted. And mm. uh, you can scout them with a specific type of unit, which mm. is called a scout. But every time you scout you have to put Fog of War cards into your deck. And mm. Fog of War cards are effectively dead duds. cards. Yeah. Duds. <laughs> but they're so duds, they're double duds. Because, <laughs> uh, and again, I'm drawn into talking about mechanisms mm. because here comes the way initiative works. So each round, somebody has to be first, mm. right? And you draw four cards from your deck and you immediately have to give one of them up because you're going to... Pitch Use it. that as an initiative. Yeah, you pitch it down, face style, reveal it simultaneously, mm. and whoever's number is the highest mm. gets to go first, which means you get to fire all, all of your guns first and you get to make all your movements first, which is tactically incredibly important. But if you want to see what the other player is doing, you can play the Fog of War card, which has an initiative of one. So there's no way you're going to win the initiative, but then you know they are, and they might even play something with an initiative of like seven or something which means yeah. they've wasted a really good card and you're like yeah i'm not going first anyway yeah and, and the beautiful moment is when you both play a one and you're like ah you know <laughs> and uh that means that the initiative stays the same but it's such a win for one person mm. and that's the beauty of the design of this game it's like okay we both played a dead card and in another game it would be like we both played a dead card but in this game, someone still wins out of that. And yeah. I, I, I find these moments in Undaunted really, really beautiful. Uh, there are so many nice little touches that just make it sing. You know, these, these nice little mechanisms mm. that, that bring it to life. And, and you're, you're constantly aching over which is the right card to buy, mm. which is the right card to buy. What am I going to pitch for initiative? Yeah. Because you only get four cards. Mm. And those four cards dictate what you can do. And, you and need... some of them synergize with each other. So yeah. I don't want to play one that then I'm going to need to play something else or to use a, another uni. Yes. Yeah, because you can do cool moves. You can yeah. be like, okay, I'm going to play my Rifleman A, because they're, <laughs> they're named thematically Rifleman A, Rifleman B, right? Uh -huh. I'm going to play my Rifleman A, and then I'm going to play my Squad Leader A. And Squad Leader A will let me bring anyone any other A card back to my hand and I can play it again. So there's these nice little synergy combos. Yeah, you, you're again, you're playing your best card for initiative because it's so important for you to go first and you're playing a nine, which is great because a nine lets you purchase three cards mm. or draw two more cards from your deck. It's a great choice, whichever yeah. way, however you're going to utilize that card, but you play it for initiative and then you find out your opponent also plays a nine and you don't get to go first. And it's, it's, it's just... Oh, I love it. Generally, the higher the initiative on the card, the better the card yeah. is. So, yeah, there is a puzzle of do I use it for initiative and definitely go first? Or maybe yeah. I even don't because maybe they play a nine too and then mm. <laughs> and then I'm still going second. I, I found it to be a game of high emotions mm. and a game that for me completely fell apart as soon as we got to the combat part of it. Because, and I, I think it's it's very scenario dependent, but, and it's, I know it's bad critique, mm. 
to you know effectively string a game on one mechanism Mm -hmm. right but i'm going to string this game on one mechanism which is that uh combat is basically a dice roll and 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 that dice roll is sort of variable you know because the way it works is every every soldier has a natural defense value so if Mm -hmm. you're attacking them that's what you need to get on a d10 or higher right so a rifleman has a defense of four i believe right so if you're attacking a rifleman you need to roll a four or higher you'll score a hit you score a hit oh and this is again such a lovely mechanism you score a hit (laughs) right and then if they're hit you have to the opponent who's been hit has to look if they have a card matching that unit in In their their hand hand. Mm. and remove it from their game Mm. and i can't explain how brutal it is when you're holding three cards in your hand that these are the three things you can do and, someone, and you've planned out your turn. Yeah, you've planned out your turn. And someone goes, I'm going to shoot Rifleman A. Do you have rif- and I hit. Oh, do you yes, have a Rifleman do. A? Yeah, I do. I have to remove that from my hand. I'm going to shoot again. I'm going to shoot a Rifleman oh, A. Oh, you've got them again. Yeah, oh, you've got, okay. oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, nice. Yeah, so, uh, sorry, back to combat. A diversion. A lovely diversion. But back to combat. So they have a natural defense value. But, but it, the defense isn't just based on their natural defense value. It's also based on their positioning on the board. So if they're in like a cover situation, they might get a plus one or plus two. It's all like dictated on the board. And that works nicely with scenarios as well, mm. because um, the each tile has a defense value, but that defense value is dependent on how important that position mm. is in a given scenario and what objectives you're trying to achieve. And so that works very nicely, but also this distance. So there's no line of sight, which is fan- brilliant. Uh-huh. Fa- thank you, <laughs> right? So you can shoot anywhere, but the further you're shooting away, the more it adds to the defense of that particular yeah, soldier that you're trying to, to attack. So it is variable, it is nice, but it is still a dice roll of I'm going to hit or miss. And it, it, being a D10, it is an incredibly variable dice roll. Mm. And I wouldn't maybe complain about it so much, but I don't have a problem with lucking games because uh-huh. clearly so many mechanisms that we've just described right mm. now are very variable in this game, yet we still love them. It's just that that dice roll is so binary, you mm. know? It and, and it felt like oftentimes I was playing a very clever game, a really, really clever game, and I just couldn't roll ahead. I won, 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 won. And I guess from a sort of thematic perspective of, this is war. You can't predict what happens, you know. Yes, okay, but I, I find that to be a weakest argument in the defense of a board game. Well, that's what would happen in real so life. how would you but, have improved that? Oh, well, I don't... See, I'm not a game designer, Elaine. Mm-hmm. I'm, I would be a rubbish game designer because I can pick a game apart easily, but <laughs> I can't put it back together. Uh, because I think one of the... Uh, again, another strength of Undaunted Normandy is that uh, all the mechanisms are relatively simple and it yeah. is not a complicated game to teach. And I think if you were to introduce a more complex combat you know, simulation, system... Simulation, yeah. Yeah, simulation, then, then the game might suffer from that. But Because it would be too deep into that combat rather than mm. the, the strategy as a whole. Yeah, but I, I still think there might have been different ways you could maybe tweak it somehow. It's just... I just didn't love how it was executed in this game. It was very it was very spartan and very binary. I think you're right that it is scenario dependent um, because there were times when I did feel a bit sorry for you because, yeah, you were playing a clever game and you were rolling badly, but that's the same for any game with dice or with any kind of luck-based mm. mechanism where you don't know what's what the outcome is going to be. You can't plan for that. Mm. Statistically, you're going to hit at some point, right? Yeah. So you can kind of plan for, okay, if I don't hit, this is what I'm going to do next, right? It was just unlucky that you kept rolling misses. Well, it was laughable. Every time we played that game, you, you you could see my pile being tiny and yours is just like, huge, that's how many I've killed. How many of you killed Ilefka? Two. I mean, that's the excuse you're using. I think I called myself Lefka accidentally as well. But <laughs> because it was just, so mad. We'll just edit that bit out. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I really want to love Normandy, but there's, there's that one bit in it. This like doesn't make me want to come back to the game because I've had a fairly miserable no, time sure, with it. Yeah. Sure. But f- for me, um, for me, it did the same thing that Memoir 44 did because I'm always hesitant to play games like that where it's kind of combat simulation in a time period that's so close to ours. Yeah. If I'm playing a game about, you know, Stone Age 
people hitting each other. I have no kind of worldly relation to that. Do you know what I mean? I know, yeah, yeah. This is such a raw thing for some people. And Mm. I think to do it in an insensitive way is jarring. And when we started playing it, I was like, oh, this is just deck building. And oh, I've got these soldiers and this and this. But then when it came to the combat, and I know you didn't like the dice, but the thing with the combat is is what made me feel like, oh, okay, this is... This is a simulation, right? Yeah. Because when your soldiers die, like, check your hand. Do you have Soldier A? But actually, they have names on those cards, right? That's true, yeah. And they're not just the platoon. They are, you know, John Smith. Oh, okay, John Smith dies. And he never comes back because you have killed him, right? He is dead. He is gone. That's it. But, oh, it's all right. I can buy another one. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, And that kind of thing, like, really hit me for, okay, this is... This is kind of what happened that all these soldiers died, but mm. oh, okay, we just recruit some more, and you know, okay, bam, they're on the map again. Like we've got more riflemen, or we've got more scouts, or whatever. I'm not sure how to feel about that, but what I am sure about is that if we if we kind of veer off into mm. into comparisons to Memoir Forty Four again, so one of the things that it does do really well, and I think that's that's the bane of Memoir Forty Four, uh-huh. is the setup time. Because, yes. <laughs> because you can set up Undaunted Normandy in, in like five minutes, maybe less than that. It's very, very quick. Uh, you each, each person gets a custom-built deck out of the available cards for that faction. Uh, and then you just build them out very quickly out of very simple tiles. And it's done. There's Momo 44. Takes... A long time. A long up. time. Sometimes yeah. it takes as long to set up as to play a game. Uh... But but what it doesn't have is so uh, if you buy the base game of Memoir Forty Four, I can't remember how many scenarios it comes with, but I think it's pretty close to ten. But if you buy expansions, you know there's a whole there's so many different scenarios and mm, diff- different modes of play. Deserts and forests and and you have jungle decks and and, yeah. and desert decks and winter decks mm. and you have the new. Um, I can't remember the name of the new Memoir 44 expansion that brings the air pack back. You bring, you, uh-huh. you know, aerial combat. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at that in a future hmm. podcast episode, actually. But yeah, there's so and many... And you have ex- different battles that you're yeah. playing out. Breakthrough, right? and Overlord, you know, mm. so diff- many different modes. Oh, that- Overlord is so good. Overlord is fantastic, isn't it? Uh, and so this is definitely what Undaunted doesn't have. And... Would I recommend Undaunted? Yeah, if you don't mind the dice rolling, sure, go ahead. It's It's got a lot of great systems in it and a lot of fun. And I'd say, you know, yes, maybe the theme is a little bit raw, but it is done respectfully. And that's, you know, as long as it's not cartoon Nazis, you know, I think I'm, I am okay with that. But in terms of sort of, you know, what you're going to get out of that game, I think Memoir 44 has a lot more to offer. So... Maybe keep an eye on Undaunted and see see how this game develops. Yeah, I think so too. I, I completely agree. Like, If you want a game that you're going to set up and really get deep into and have a few hours to do the setup and place all the little sandbags and place all the, I don't know, what are they called? The guns. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know the names of guns, whatever. Yeah. But it plays the different guns and the hedgehogs and the barrels and this and that and the other. And you want to really get into that scenario and you yeah. read about the battle and how it happened and mm. how it played out, then definitely Memoir 44. If you yeah. just want a game that you can take to your... Well, it's only two-player, but if you want a game that you can just take somewhere yeah. and play it with someone very else... Very quickly. Very yeah. quickly. With, with a lot of cool mechanisms. With a lot of cool me- Then I think Undaunted hits that spot. Yeah. I, I do want to actually round this out by saying I just complained about a game that has dice rolls for combat and compared it to a different game that has dice rolls for combat and said, that one's better though. No, but they're but different types of dice. They, they are, yeah. And it matters. Yeah, the result is a lot less binary in Memoir 44, and mm. I stand by that. Why don't we move on to the, the big finale the resistance. of the podcast, our first experience with an 18xx game, 1846. Mm. Now, so for the folks who are not familiar with the whole, whole genre of 18xx, and how daunting mm. it is. Would would you describe your feelings going into your fir- knowing I'm going to be playing an 18xx game for the first time, and 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 how you related to that? See, again, I think my 
opinion is slightly skewed because they are traditionally thought of as really big and scary and also spreadsheets the game and I really like spreadsheets so I think I was more excited and less daunted than you. (laughs) Yeah okay that's pretty fair but yeah so effectively in an 18xx game and this is this is the beauty of them right Uh, you are going to be playing a trains plus stocks game where you take control yeah you take control of (laughs) train companies you invest into them and you try and make them more profitable as you lay track across a map and uh i also love trains so. yeah yeah and and then whoever has the most money at the end of the game wins mm. right and so generally these are known as big long experiences i've heard tales of 18xx games that take 10 12 hours or whatever sure. and, I, and there are so many different varieties of them and whilst the base rule set I can't remember what the first 18xx game was, but I know it was designed by Francis Tresham uh-huh. sometime in the 70s. Uh, and all the variations were variations on that one game where a lot of uh, 18xx games can be described to those in the know. They're like, oh, it's like, you know, 18 blah, blah, blah. But instead of, you know, like buying minor companies, you have drafts, which is actually the difference in 1846 is that I believe... Like the small companies you draft rather uh-huh. than, uh, yeah, so they, I'm sorry, I'm showing my very limited knowledge of this genre, but that's fine. We're retelling our first experiences, baby steps and impressions. Um, so yeah, uh, you, you're you doing all these things and one of the cool things about it, so uh, you're going to win the game if you have the most money at the end of the game, but your money is different to company money. And at the start of the game, people are going to start buying stocks in various companies that are available in the game. And they have different starting positions and different abilities sometimes and different number of stations they can populate on the board. And stations are kind of like blockages and saying, mm. this is my room and no mm. one else's. But it's not quite as simple as that. Um, but you reserve a... Yeah, yeah. You, reser- you reserve a little station and no one else can pass through that station mm. apart from you, which uh, is a mechanical subtlety we don't have time to get into. <laughs> um, but the cool thing is that basically when you buy stocks in that company, your money goes into that company mm. and suddenly like that company now you're, has money yeah right? you're bolstering that company yeah with your money yeah and other people could buy stocks into that company as well and that company could have more money and when you buy the initial stock you set the price of that stock as well so you could say i believe in this company i'm going to start it at 100 per share which is mm. a pretty bold move i believe mm. i think it was somewhere between 40 and 150 yeah you, you can you can set the price between yeah. 40 and 150 i think setting at the start of the game at 150 is financial suicide <laughs> but but let's not get into that because you only start with like 400 money and you have to buy at least two shares when you're first buying shares in the company and so that's 300 of your 400 because you are the president of the company therefore you have to have two shares yes exactly uh, and you're you also so you're only left with a hundred, and you have to buy some minor companies, which are these other companies, which are effectively like uh, the asymmetrical part of the game. You're going like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, I want this ability that no one else has, and that's that's cool. I really enjoyed that bit actually. Uh, and yeah, so you're putting money into this company, and this company now has money. And the funny thing is that everything you do in that game. He's kind of done, well, not everything, but most of the things, everything apart from buying shares is done out of company money, right? Mm. So the more you're putting it into the company, the more money it has to operate, yeah. right? And then once once everyone's done the stock buying and selling, and there's a lot of subtlety in the stock Which buying Which you pay your selling, own money for. Yeah. Uh, then it moves into operational rounds mm. where you run trains across tracks that you've built. Mm. And uh, your trains make money, mm. but it's your company that makes money. And then you get this very, very sweet decision. Uh, and I love this, right? So uh, you just gone, your company just got a bunch of money, right? And would you like some of that money? Because that money is going to, you know, you win the game with money, right? If the answer is yes, you have to decide whether you want to do a full payout of all the money that you've earned, a half payout or none payout. And these are the three modes, right? Uh, so if you do a full payout, then everybody uh, who has shares Shares in that company company will get money, including your company, if your company still holds shares of your own company. Um, Which you hope they do. Yeah. And if the payout was double the share value, then uh, your share price is going to go 
twice up this track, making it a lot more valuable. If it was only, if it's not a double, it'll go once up the track and so on. Or uh, you can do a half pay, which means uh, your company retains half the money. The other half is paid out to shareholders, including maybe potentially your company. Uh, and then finally, you can withhold the money, which means your company gets to hold all of it. And that is essentially what I found the biggest financial conundrum of the entire game. Yeah, and sometimes the uh, shares are also on the stock market because you can sell the shares to the stock market if you need more money to be putting into your company. Mm. So you don't want money to just like disappear into the stock market. So you have a conundrum of, I want some money, but I don't want to pay out too much to everyone else because, it, again, that is how you win the game with the most money. And how do I put money in my company so I can buy more trains and more track and blah, yeah. blah, blah. Because but, you can't just put money into the company, no, right? No, because yeah. you need money as well. Yeah, well, no, you're not, you have, so you have the money, right? Let's say I have like $900, which is, you know, all the money Oh, you the personally can't just yeah. put money, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, but your company needs to buy a train yeah, exactly. or it'll go bankrupt or whatever, right? And the trains get progressively way more expensive. And, and the trains you've already bought... Rust. Rust, right? Because <laughs> you're like, oh, hey, I've just spent all my starting company capital on free on, trains on or Stevenson's four trains. rocket. Yeah. And then suddenly there's this like GNR thing that you need to buy. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, it's And mad. the first trains were what, like 150 or something? I can't even remember. Like or 100. Yeah, $80. Yeah, I think they're yeah. $80. They're super cheap. And then yeah. suddenly when train, the first time trains rust... The cheapest train you can buy is four hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> I can't describe what kind of magnitudes more expensive that is. And if you've been playing your game well, and for example, doing half payouts, but also bumping up your company stock, so mm. your company's doing well, and um, you know, also putting some money in the company coffers, you'll be prepared for that financially, and um, you know, you'll have a lot of money to invest into the further success of your company. Or maybe like me, you've been greedy and been doing full payouts because if you're doing full payouts in your own company, then you're getting a lot of the money that your company makes. Uh, but your company doesn't have quite enough money to just kind of keep Operate. running itself. Yeah. Mm. But I was lucky in that, is that in that oh, I think I had a pretty good route and I never needed a lot of the trains because, mm. oh God, the map, again. Yeah, you, ha you had a pretty good positioning on the map because if you're buying stations, then other trains can't pass through them unless yeah. they're upgraded. So they have another station on that town and then yeah. someone else can pass through them or buy the station. Yeah, and there's, of course, like what your company is depends on where it starts. And then you might have certain beneficial routes. Like, uh, so if you can make a connection all the way from east of America to west of America in 1846, then you're getting a lot of money mm. and you don't need that many trains to operate. But obviously you have more trains that you can operate on different routes. And oh, it's such, it's such a maze of finances, spreadsheets, and I've never done more math than I have done in this game. And I liked it. I, I actually liked it quite a bit. But there's some things, and I, I'm aware I'm saying this as a complete novice <laughs> of the genre, uh -huh. right? I, some things that didn't quite stick with me. And I imagine that when I say, oh, these things have bothered me a little bit, yeah. there will be people who will say... Oh, but that's because you played 1846, which is, you know, that kind of an 18xx game. But if you play 18, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you'll have this totally different experience. They'll make a lot more, you know, kind of a more suited gameplay experience to what uh -huh. you're looking. And if you are one of these people, you should go to nopunincluded.com slash podcast <laughs> and leave a comment uh, with your suggestions on what other 18xx games we and should try. Bear in mind, we have only played it once. Yeah. yeah. And it was very much a learning game. It was very much a learning game, but I'll tell you what. Mm -hmm. So, um, Heavy Cardboard, which mm -hmm. is an excellent podcast that covers heavy games and economic simulations and 18xx games, just two days after we played our game, first game of 1846, put out a playthrough of 1846 mm -hmm. with a bunch of people who have played, I'm not sure whether it was 18xx games or 1846 in, in specifically, over 250 times <laughs> and that was fascinating to watch because they were obviously so much better in that game mm. than uh, I could ever imagine myself being but not only that is that the general tenor of the game so I had my impressions and things that slightly bothered me about about this experience mm. uh, but I found that the way they played the game was largely 
basically they, they, they went through very similar motions. Uh-huh. So number one, what I expected was a lot more stock market machinations, right? Uh-huh. But generally what happened is you bought a company and you bought stocks in that company and someone else might buy stocks in that company, right? But no one's really going to do a big takeover or anything like that. And I was reminded of our play of Indonesia, where stocks were wild. Uh Like you're playing a game, you have a company, and then suddenly someone takes your stocks, merges with their stocks and takes control of your company. And you're like, what? But I have no more company, right? <laughs> like, what do I do? Oh, wait, I have these balloons of cash. All right, I'll go spend them on something else. On right? a new company. Yeah, on a new company, <laughs> right? And 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 so I, I guess I was like half expecting that. Mm. And so my expectations didn't quite match up there because because the stock market was basically, okay, I'll buy a company, I'll start investing into it, and that company is going to run. And and it some people might buy stock in that company, but not too much because they're incentivized in me making money on that company because they right, hold stock exactly. in it. So they're just going to buy some stocks and let me do my thing, right? Yeah. And that's largely what happened, right? Yeah, and everyone was paying attention so much to their own companies yeah. that they weren't that worried about what everyone else yeah. was doing until uh, a company was not doing that well and then they were trying to get rid of it. Yeah. Uh, and mind you, I, I have to preface this with... I made a very big rookie mistake in that game. And at one point I decided to buy a second company and set the stock price very low. In which uh, moment, one of the other players immediately saw the opportunity to buy some stocks in that company and then dump those stocks and effectively dump the value of that company. And, uh, and the company had no money and I needed to buy a train for it because if you don't buy a train for it, the company is gonna effectively start eating your own profits You'll have to start selling your own yeah, shares to feed yeah. it, uh, which is bad. You don't want to do that. You have to, yeah, you have to put yeah. your personal money to like float this train. Which is financial death, uh-huh. right? And yeah, I was like, oh, okay, I just made a mistake that's going to ruin my entire game. Thankfully, through miraculous stroke of luck, the company went bankrupt before I actually had yes. to buy a train. No, it wasn't luck. We all worked it out because you had a bit of a hissy fit. I did. I ha- I was having a bad day uh, health-wise and wasn't feeling that great. And I spent about five hours doing quite all right, you know. And suddenly I realized I lost the game. And I, I had a bit of a tantrum. I'm not <laughs> proud of it. And I feel very sorry and apologetic to all of my friends. But after like five hours of this, I was like, no, this, this is not okay. <laughs> I'm not having this. But then we figured out that if one of my companies sells one of their trains that are probably going to rust anyway mm. to this other company, then it doesn't need to buy another train. And by the time it does actually need to buy another train, it's going to go bankrupt and it doesn't matter. So I wasted some money on stocks, but it wasn't the end of the world. I still won my first game of 18xx. Mm, I'm pretty proud of that. But yeah, no. So what that does is effectively, and I know we've rambled on about stocks and trains for quite a little bit, uh, but what... What that experience sort of made me think of that particular game was that a lot of the decision space, important decision space, mm-hmm. and the sort of make or break moments are at the very start of the game when you're drafting the minor companies, where, where you're buying your first company, what price you're going to set mm. it at. You know, those are really, really key decisions. And there's a lot of decision space. I don't want to make it sound like you know, well, you make those important decisions and then the game sort of runs itself. That's not true. You are making a lot of decisions in the game and they are interesting decisions. But they are not the sort of decisions I am hunting for because a lot of a lot of the decision space after those initial moments was which train should I buy? Should I buy the slightly more expensive train and the slightly more cheaper train? Because if I spend $100 less, then the company is going to have that much more money and I can do those types of payouts. And, you know, it was basically maths and adding things together and kind of pretty much entering things in the spreadsheet. And I thought it was very telling that, and apparently this is a genre standard, uh-huh. right? That a game of 18xx reaches a point where nobody really finishes it. You just enter some stats in the spreadsheet and then it's sort and of... see how it will play itself yes, out. Yes, see how it will play mm. itself out. And then you're like, oh, okay, you know. And it, and it, What a conclusion. What a conclusion. What and a that, satisfying conclusion. Yeah, and that might sound not very appealing, but actually within the space of that game, that made a lot of sense to me. Yeah. I was like, well, yeah, we ran our companies. They did their thing. But... Yeah, it was like coming back to it from the future. Yeah, yeah. And... 
I, I, I found it engaging and interesting. Not, I'm definitely not going to be one of those people who goes, that's it, I'm only playing 18xx games now. Because I, I hear this happens to people. Like, they have their first taste of 18xx and they never want to play anything else again. Uh, they just play 18xx games forever onwards. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. But I did enjoy it and I do want to explore... Other 18xx Yeah. Games. Yeah, me too, very much so. No, I think we're very much omni-gamers. So, mm, mm. And we, we like to try different things and explore different things. And yeah, no, I really did like it, but I want to. I don't want that to be the only thing I ever play. That's not like the desert island <laughs> thing that, that that's all I have to play I mean, for the I, rest of my life. You, do you know what, though? If you were stuck on a desert island yeah. with two other people because... Uh-huh. Uh, free player minimum, you know, uh-huh. 18xx is probably a great game to take on because I one of the things I could tell that there's there's so much, you know, there's clearly again p- people who played it 250 times and still find yeah, sure. still find that decision space in there with like, well, do I do this or do I do that, sure. you know, and and they're still enraptured by the game, which is wonderful to see, and I I could definitely see that I was barely treading water mm. in terms of like... Oh, yeah. I because there's, the there's so much, yeah. There's so much that you can learn that will make you better at that game. And this might sound dull, but the optimal placement of certain tiles, turns out, is very important. Um, yeah, and, and like you said earlier, the setup. Yeah. How you set yourself up in that game will depend how your company plays out. I wouldn't necessarily recommend... 18xx games to everyone i think if if the you teach was two hours the te- so. <laughs> yeah the teach was two hours they are notoriously hard to teach and i understand why but it was a good teach but it was still two hours but uh i think if uh if what you've heard and you've never played an 18xx game i think what you've heard or you know from this conversation you'll probably make out if it's for you but i think if you're quite fascinated by the genre of heavy economic simulators Mm. and you want to try one of them and you're not sure whether 18xx is the right one for you because it sounds just a touch too dry Mm. i would recommend a couple of episodes ago and a very first episode we talked about oh right and i think it's a very similar experience yeah i agree because you have stocks you are trying to continuously bump up their value by producing things and running your factories in this case rather than and there's just a little bit more friction in that game, a little bit more rubbing, because uh, the friction in 18xx definitely exists, but it's very... There's there's a very sort of certain moment of, like... It's very precise, where I'm going to put the station here, it's going to block all your routes, and that's that, right? And you're like, okay, that makes sense for you, I understand why you would do that, I would also do the same in that position, let's continue... But then I want to kick you in the shins. Yeah, yeah, and and then we go maths, 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 right? Arkwright is different in that yeah. regard. It is a heavy economic simulator, simulator but the friction is much more dynamic in mm. it, you know? And, and I, I find, as as a novice to the genre, and, you know, tr- dipping my toes into these economic big economic simulators, I find Arkwright just, uh, just a bit more varied and a bit more dynamic in what it offers. Uh, but I, I can imagine that maybe it doesn't have the whole sort of lasting endless exploration space that 18xx offers i don't know how to follow that that was pretty much exactly my experience of it mm. um I, I completely agree with you i think arkwright is i really enjoyed arkwright and i think because it had that that dynamic nature there was never a right decision of what was going to happen mm. and you never quite knew what was going to happen when you did something yeah there was like, a lot more uncertainty whereas yeah. in 18xx it was very much mapped out you know if you did this this would happen and this would happen it mm. was it was like you know if you drop a penny in the slot Mm. Uh, the penny's going to drop down, right? Whereas yeah. Arkwright was more, you'd put the penny in the slot and it's got one of five paths that it can go down. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, and- do you know where this was evident for me? Mm. So, for example, at the start of the game, I found it very opaque to know what uh, whose stocks to purchase. So you obviously want to purchase your yeah. own stocks because you believe in your company and you want to make it good, right? Yeah. Unless, I guess, maybe other 18xx games have more stock variation. Again, not familiar. But you want to purchase your own stocks, but also... It was a bit opaque to see whose else stocks I should buy because they were all sort of evenly priced and I didn't know who was going to push their company better, whose position was better, mm. you know. And, and and I found that uncertainty 
appealing because I, I, I was in an exploration space. Sure. Whereas towards the end of the game, I was like, well, I'm going to buy the stocks uh, of the company that have the most value because then when that stock bumps and everyone's going to bump their stocks up, right? When that stock bumps, the value jump is going to be higher. So it's obvious that I should invest into that. So it just, the game sort of winds itself into a, into a perfect narrow path. This is true, but very early in the game, I knew that I needed to buy your stocks because I could see that they were going to be going up because you consistently were putting money into the company and you had tons mm. of it, right? Mm. But I had to sell your stocks to buy my own shares in my own company because if you have shares in your company that are being sold, that off. Are being sold off, it bumps down your price. So you want to buy them back. So you want to buy them back, right? But so you might I not have enough do. money. Yeah. So I knew what was going to happen. And I knew that, that if I couldn't hold on to your stocks, I yeah. would probably never be able to afford it again. Yeah. Because I, it was going to keep going up. And these are definitely the beautiful moments of 18xx mm. games. This, these moments of unexpected friction, right? Mm. Uh, I, I, I look forward to playing it again. As I said, I wasn't in a particularly good mood that day. So my my impression of it might have been colored because I was feeling, frankly, like garbage, right? Yeah. And I was like, okay, I promised that I would be here and Len really wants to play, so we're going to go and do it. Uh, and I, I really want to try it again in a better mood and, and see how I feel about it. Maybe I'll change my mind on my first impressions of 18xx. Yeah, and I think you probably... Like, knowing you as, as someone who plays games, mm. I'm not sure you'll ever move from that position, honestly. Hmm, okay. I'm not sure this is like going to be the explosion that you expect it's going to be on your second playthrough, even if yeah. you, even if you're feeling better. Well, I, I, I want to try it, and I do want to eventually make a video about 18xx games and and the different genres. Uh, GMT, if you're listening, please send us a copy of 1846. <laughs> We'd love to have one. We'd love to eventually cover it on video. Yeah. And I, I definitely after we've uh, we've tried it more and played it more. I think you. I think you will, like, I, th I generally think you'll like the genre, mm. but I'm not sure it will ever be your favourite genre of mm. games. Mm. Because I think there's too much maths. And I think you are someone who is very good at seeing quite far ahead mm. in games. And when you can't do that because there's too much maths in the way, yeah, it, it puts a block. Um, Maybe. I, st I, I don't know. I still did pretty well in comparison. You did really? Of course you did. Yeah. yeah of course you did. I'm really. proud of that. Do you know what? Sometimes, <laughs> I, I, as everyone, I think uh, I developed doubt. But winning on my first play, such a complicated game, made me feel really, really good about myself. I thought 1846 was really clever. And it's definitely something I want to play again. Uh, what I've liked about it, as someone who's played a lot of Euros, so that's the only thing I can really like compare it to in my head, yeah. is that you still have your board of things that you're doing. You've still got your company that you're trying to invest in and work with. But everything that everyone else does affects what you do. And for me, that was really, really neat. Yeah, there's this a sense of sort of personality to the company that you are... Uh, taking on as your own not only does it have a unique starting position and unique strategies mm. but also because there isn't that sort of massive machination i mean someone could technically take over your company mm. because if they yeah. have more stocks than you and you know then then and that threat is always there that threat is always there but it's never going to realistically happen unless you let it happen mm. or unless you made such a big mistake that um it what's more likely to happen is that you're going to start selling off stock uh, of other companies than, bu than buying back your own stock, yeah. if that's a possibility. I guess there's a lot of exploration space there. That a huge <laughs> amount. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think we could talk about this all night. We could theorize it because okay. it's like yeah. all in our imaginations. But in reality, what we need to do is go play and play again. more 18xx <laughs> games. Agreed. Veering slightly into the territory of things that are no pun included, do you want to talk about how you're doing with uh, going part-time with no pun included? Ooh. Uh, it's going to be fairly soon. I know we keep saying that, but it should really genuinely be fairly soon. The job has gone out for advertising, so there are interviews fairly soon. So just to clarify, what's happening is Elaine uh, has, has Elaine's position has been split into two. So she's yeah, going so to be... Yeah, it's a job share. Yeah, it's a job share. So she's going to be doing half of what she was doing before and someone else is going to come in and do the other half. 
and uh, so there'll be a lane one and a lane two, probably someone with a different name. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. that'd be confusing. It would be very um, confusing indeed. And it should be within the next two or three weeks. I'm I'm very much looking forward to that. Hello, future Evka here. I wanted to add a little addendum to this, a clarifier, because I think we still somehow managed to accidentally made it sound possibly to some people that maybe this job share thing is at no point included. No, we're very much talking about Elaine's old job at the library. Uh, there is no one that we are hiring at no point included, apart from Elaine herself, because we couldn't afford that yet. So just, just putting that out there, back to the podcast. I want to talk about something that I did recently, which I found a particularly exciting thing, and it connects well to the thing that we talked about in episode two, oh, about cool. your collections becoming almost like a burden of mm. these unplayed games and making you feel like, um, you know, in some cases, and I, I know I touched upon addiction, you know. Uh, so basically, if you haven't heard us talk about this, go and listen to episode two. I think it was an excellent discussion. But I found a cure for collection blues, okay. right? And that is charity auctions. Uh, right. So uh, <laughs> some of you might know that I also organize a local board game club. And as part of that local board game club, uh, I decided to do a charity auction. But what sort of further propelled me to do that was uh, there's a very lovely group uh, in London called South London Board Gamers who every Tuesday near London Bridge Station, um, about a 15-minute walk away, organize a charity board game night where it's like any other board game night, but instead of paying an entry, you make, uh, it's suggested to make at least a five pound donation. donation. And their whole goal is that because it's, like they're not asking for a lot, like a five pound entry for a board game evening in London is a fairly reasonable price. But if you keep coming back and keep paying those five pounds, um, you know, the charity that all that those proceeds go to, which is Mind, a mental health charity, they accumulate because they're recurring. And that's, that's what apparently one of the hardest things for charity is, is to have recurring um, donations. Yeah, so a lot of charities might do a fun run or you might do a fundraising like a bake sale or whatever, yeah. but it's a lot of money in a short period of time. But what charities need also is um, continuous. continuous donations. Yeah, uh, so I, I wanted to kind of be a part of that and help out but my problem is of course i don't live in london so going to london every week is is not reasonable so i did the opposite of what they needed i thought i'll make them a big chunk of money and and and, <laughs> and donate it on behalf of our club right which i am happy to say we raised 624 pounds mm. uh there was a miscount we thought it was 644 but it's 624 sadly 20 pounds less but you should have seen the faces of the people when we brought in the money and it was like here this is for you because you're doing a good thing and we want to see you keep doing that yeah. good thing. And, and that was They're brilliant. Doing a really good thing. Yeah, that was really, really nice. But the reason it works, right, is because we all have a lot of games sitting on our shelves that just don't see the love, right? Mm -hmm. So the structure of this charity auction thing, so if you go and play in a local club or you specifically organize a local club, I really want to encourage you to do this because not only is it a great event for your local club, but also it's a really feel-good event, you know, and you're doing a good thing, not only for the charity, but also for yourself. Because you're shedding away those games that no longer see love in your collection and feel like a burden, and they support a good cause. So, how does it work? Well, you get your local club to do a charity auction night, and you say to everyone, bring games you don't want anymore. Just bring games you don't want anymore, and also bring some wallets with money in it, because you know, there's going to be a lot of good bargains, right? And you might want to pick up a well, game or two. bring and buy, but... But all the money auction. goes... Yeah, yeah. All the money going to charity and in the auction style, right? So there were, so our club isn't very big. We have like, uh, you know, 15 to 20 recurring people coming every couple of weeks. Uh, and it's a small club. We raised 624 pounds. How about that? There were 21 people participating in the auction. I should also say a very big thank you. So uh, I organize a board game club in St. Albans. Uh, there's two board game clubs in St. Albans. And the other uh, board game club, when they heard we were doing this, uh, they took uh, all their proceedings from their Saturday game day and gave it to us and donated it as well. So it was one nice St. Albans feel-good board game charity moment. 
And everyone was so happy because not only did they feel like, oh, hey, we did a good thing, but also they came away with some pretty sweet board bargains, you know, <laughs> like the board games that they were like, oh, I didn't know this existed or I've been looking at this for a very long time because quite a few games that were brought along because they've been sitting on dusty shelves were actually games that are out of print yeah. and people are looking for, you know. And, and I made sure to encourage that as well because I, I brought my copy of Aura Labora, which I was kind of sad to part with. That was one of the games I was like... <laughs> This is a very good game. This is probably my favorite Uwe it's Rosenberg not game. Enough love. I haven't played it in ages. And you know what, what the best part is? One of my friends bid for it and won. And now that friend has that board game. So if I want to play it, I can say, hey, let's play Oral Bora, <laughs> right? And also money to charity. This is such a win win. And I, the reason I'm talking about it is I really want to encourage everyone who has the ability to organize that to organize it. Whatever charity you feel like it's the best charity that money should go to you know go ahead make a choice but do it just do it do it do it it's nice to share things with people yeah uh talking about sharing let's share a question mm. from our mailbag i'm gonna paraphrase the question very quickly but it's a great question question comes from tim tim asks uh on the success of concordia venus which is a team uh, variant of Concordia, once again discussed in episode one, I believe. If you want to hear our discussion, go back, listen to that. Um, what other Euro games do we think would uh, suit a team variant? Uh, and I was honestly stumped by this because do you know? Do you do you know <laughs> what board game? Because I don't know. The game that pops to my brain immediately is something like Terra Mystica or Gaia Project but I've no idea how that would work I like the idea of doing it in teams and maybe sharing the bowl or whatever but honestly I have no idea how that would work but I'm not a game designer so but immediately we're introducing so many new variables in, no. in into the whole thing right like Terra Mystica has asymmetrical player powers. That's one of the, you know, yeah. the selling points, right? Like, do you combine your powers? How do you exactly. bounce off, right? Like, yeah, I'm not a game designer. And actually, uh, when we were discussing this, you said to me, right? Um, well, two years ago, I if someone said to me, Concordia, team variant, I'd be like, how the, the hell how would... would that work? But yeah. it works so well. Yeah, and it works... With such, such minor changes. Yeah, right? And I was like, oh... Okay, it just works, right? Mm. So I guess my answer is, I'll know it when I see it, but I have no idea right mm. now. Uh, <laughs> but if, if once again, one final plug, if you have suggestions for what board game would make an excellent yeah, team game, know. we yeah. want to know. <laughs> Please leave a comment on nopunincluded.com slash podcast. And we'll have a nice chat about it. If you would like to ask us a question that we probably can't answer, you can do so at efka at nopunincluded.com. That's my email address, Elaine. Why are you giving it out to everyone? Because they might have a question for us. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, with that, why don't you say goodbye, Elaine? Goodbye, Elaine. Goodbye, Elaine.